Welcome to A Feminist in Progress, the podcast that will stand by you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, that will love and cherish you until death do us part. This episode is the last in our mini-series on Gia Tolentino's 2019 collection of essays, Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion. And here it is, the last essay from the book that we're diving into, titled, I the Dread. This is going to be more personal compared to the other episodes in the mini-series. I think it's because of the topic of the essay. Weddings and marriage. Hey, the, the, that topic hits quite close to home for me. Reading the essay second time around, well, semi-second time around, was a journey in unexpected introspection. I think also the first time I read the essay, kind of, it became an opportunity for introspection as well. Or it made me think twice about what I think I want out of life or what or just kind of like trying to be defiant when it comes to societal expectations surrounding marriage and weddings and whatnot. But you know, we'll we'll dive into that in a bit. As of recording, I have been to only one wedding. That was back in 2014 when one of my college best friends got married. As of 2021, I had another friend, another close friend, get married. But the big ceremony with extended family and friends gathered to celebrate the couple has yet to happen. In September, or a few weeks from now, and probably by the time you're listening to this, I'll attend a cousin's wedding. But other than that, the number of people with whom I am close who are getting married is actually close to zero. I have friends who are in serious relationships, but none of them are out here planning weddings, mostly for economic reasons. As for me, as of recording, (laughs) I am in a serious relationship for the first time in my life, and it's a relationship that I and my partner see evolving into a life partnership feel free to correct me if you're listening to this (laughs) the m word marriage has been brought up but it's not officially on the table in the sense that you know we're not engaged or we haven't made concrete plans to get married personally this is just me as an individual I i see myself getting married I have thought about my wedding, low-key, with no more than 20 guests, whether that's 20 guests in total or 10 guests for me and my partner, and casual when it comes to vibes and attire. Gia Tolentino was quite the opposite, as she discloses in this essay. After reading this essay, I could see why. Um, but, uh, but by what I mean by that, that you know her being quite the opposite is that this essay was actually inspired by the mere fact that she and her partner went 
or as of writing of that essay that they've been through like numerous weddings where they get like asked oh so you know where is, is it when is it going to be your turn well more her than her partner gets asked like oh so when is it going to be your turn so anyway what she mostly just brings up here um and also what i mean by you know gia tolentino being quite the opposite is that she is not somebody who saw herself getting married and after reading this essay i could see why the wedding industrial complex is so entangled to the institution of marriage that it's almost unavoidable when one decides to take that big step of committing to someone for the rest of their life. Or until, you know, they decide that they don't want to be married to each other anymore. Marriage is one of those things that we, women and femme folks, have been conditioned to want to want, you know? As if it is an inevitable part of our life path. To want otherwise would be considered defiant. The the lack of a husband can can subject one to whispered and not so whispered ridicule. Oh, she's too difficult, too picky, too nasty, too independent, too focused on her career, too, too, too. Men, specifically straight men, do not carry this expectation as much. He can play the field as long as he needs to or wants to. He doesn't question by the Illuminantes. You know, so when are you getting married with matching side eye and wrinkled nose? Even worse is the idea that the right woman will tame his wild playboy heart. It has come to my attention through this essay that weddings are fucking expensive. I kid, of course. I've always known deep down that weddings are hella expensive. And that's why in traditional weddings here in the Philippines, the ninangs and ninongs in the wedding are also known as sponsors who, I believe, quite literally sponsor the nuptial. Some women have Pinterest boards where they mentally or actually plan their wedding. And I personally follow wedding-related accounts on Instagram. Whether they're wedding planning services or wedding photography services. Where I see for myself how weddings have become a lucrative business. And the one thing these businesses have in common... They're mostly catered to the bride. The unspoken rule here is that it's the woman's job to plan the wedding or work closely with the wedding planner. Most often than not, she calls the shot because it's her big day. The joke kind of there is, you know, the groom just has to show up. (laughs) While I may be kidding, if you think about it, What's the distribution of labor and decision-making when it comes to weddings? Wedding planning is a multi-pronged endeavor. It's one of the biggest events to put together. 
And I get it. You and your partner want to celebrate your love. And it's nothing short of magical to involve your closest friends and family in this celebration. Society has even normalized the idea of grandeur, of opulence, because that's what's been sold to us. It's rare for me to encounter or read about minimalist or low-key weddings. The, the kind that I see for me and my partner when the time comes. Because apparently, centuries ago, weddings were not some big, expensive life event. They were, Tolentino writes, entirely homemade productions, brief and simple ceremonies conducted in private. And personally, that's really something I would like. Just a bit of privacy. <laughs> she also writes, quote, The vast majority of women in history have gotten married in front of a handful of people with no reception, in colored dresses that they had worn before and would wear again. End quote. And honestly, why can't we normalize this? Personally, I don't want to spend money on a dress I'll only wear once and then hide it away. I know, kind of like sacrilege and whatnot. Some of you might be like, but, but, but Bryce, it, it's your big day. You know, it's, it's a once in a lifetime thing. <laughs> Whatever. Personally, this is kind of like the way I see it. Um, not to kind of like minimize this, the specialness of that day, but uh, it doesn't... I would like, I, w- I would want to be practical also at the end of the day. And okay, so here's a bit of an anecdote. I remember being at a popular clothing store about a couple of months ago with my boyfriend when he was here in the Philippines and spotting a beautiful dress that also happened to come in the color white. <laughs> It's a gorgeous linen blend, sleeveless, shearing dress. I wound up getting it in navy blue, but I won't lie, I won't lie, you know, when I saw it. Um, when I saw that it came in white, um, my immediate thought was, oh, that would make for a gorgeous wedding dress. I can even get away with wearing it again. But uh, how... Is it possible to break away from our contemporary traditions when it comes to marriage? In other words, is it possible these days to get married without getting churned in the wedding industrial complex? And then, of course, there's one more thing to think about. The thing that comes after the wedding? You know, the marriage itself? Weddings are sold to us as this fantasy fulfillment of happily ever after. But the after to the happily ever after is rarely ever talked about in brutal, honest ways. Here's an excerpt from the essay that hit me quite to the core. And I quote, There is still a drastic mismatch between the cultural script around marriage in which a man grudgingly acquiesces to a woman salivating for a diamond, and the reality of marriage, in which men's lives often get better and women's lives often get worse. 
married men report better health and live longer than single men. In contrast, married women report worse mental health and die earlier than single women. These statistics do not suggest that the act of getting married is some sort of gendered hex. Rather, they reflect the way that when a man and a woman combine their unpaid domestic obligations under the ages of tradition, the woman usually ends up doing most of the work, a fact that is greatly exacerbated by the advent of kids. There's an idea that women get to scrooge dive in heaps of money after divorce proceedings, but in fact, women who worked while married see their incomes go down by 20% on average after a divorce, whereas men's incomes go up by more than that, end quote. When I take off the rose-colored glasses of wedding fantasizing for a moment and picture myself as a married woman, I ponder on the things that are mostly economic. I am, I'm one part excited about creating a home with my partner in blending my and his life together. But I'm also one part apprehensive especially when I look at my financial situation, my personal financial situation, and wonder about what I can contribute or pitch in. If I momentarily go down this rabbit hole of thoughts that feel more like a dark hole, I sometimes wonder if I'm even good enough to be married to. But oh boy, let's not go there. At least not now. There, there's some deep work and introspection that still needs to be done in a way. And if I keep off that rose-colored glasses of wedding fantasizing a bit longer, I can reflect on this lengthy but sobering passage from the essay. And I quote, And still I wonder how much harder it would be to get straight women to accept the reality of marriage if they were not first presented with the fantasy of a wedding. I wonder if women today would so readily accept the unequal diminishment of their independence without their sense of self-importance being overinflated first. It feels like a trick, a trick that has worked and is still working, that the bride remains the image of womanhood at its most broadly celebrated, and that planning a wedding is the only period in a woman's life where she is universally and unconditionally encouraged to conduct everything on her own terms. The conventional vision of a woman's life, in which the wedding plays a starring role, seems to be offering an unspoken trade-off. Here, our culture says, is an event that will center you absolutely, that will crystallize your image when you were young and gorgeous, admired and beloved, with the whole world rolling out in front of you like an endless meadow, like a plush red carpet, sparklers lighting up your irises and petals drifting through your lavish, elegant hair. In exchange, from that point forward, in the eyes of the state and everyone around you, your needs will slowly cease to exist. This is of course not the case for everyone, but for plenty of women, becoming a bride still means being flattered into submission, 
being prepared. Through a rush of attention and a series of gender resegregated rituals, the bridal shower, the bachelorette party, and later the baby shower, for a future in which your identity will be systematically framed as secondary to the identity of your husband and kids. End quote. The paradox at the heart of the wedding comes from two versions of woman that it conjures. There's the glorified bride, looming large and resplendent and almost monstrously powerful. And there's her nullified twin and opposite. The woman who vanishes under the name change and the veil. These two selves are opposites, bound together by male power. The advice book chirping, you are privileged to have all eyes center on you, and Anne Hathaway snapping, sometimes it's about me okay, at her maid of honor, are inextricable from the laws that required women to take their husband's name if they wanted to vote in elections, and the fact that the post-marriage benefit package of health, wealth, and happiness is still mostly distributed to men. Underneath the confectionery spectacle of the wedding is a case study in how inequality bestows outsized affirmation on women as compensation for making us disappear. End quote. Gia Tolentino eventually went on to get married. According to the Instagram post announcing that she and her partner Andrew got married, Tolentino says that they came up against a health insurance policy that required them to be married. The specificities are not of our business, but she does write in a quote, I suddenly understood again that because of one person's specificity, my life had taken a sweeter shape than anything I had ever imagined. In fact, I'd never imagined anything. And here was everything and more, end quote. Although I think that still has to do more with her, their daughter, Paloma. But anyway, like I said, it's none of my business. Anyway, as for me, I will stand by my desire to get married because I love my partner enough to spend my life with him and bring our lives together. I don't know if and when that will ever happen, how soon or how far down the road it is still, but one day at a time, I suppose. Thanks for joining me here in a Feminist in Progress podcast for our mini-series on Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion. I hope you consider reading the book yourself and gain insights from the essays I discussed and the others that I didn't get into. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing a Feminist in Progress on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also give a donation to this independent endeavor via paypal.me slash feministinprogress or gcash. Details are in the episode description. You can stay in touch with me via Instagram at feministinprogresspod or Facebook feministinprogresspodcast. Until then, always remember, progress, not perfection. <laughs>